0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to part two of this week's Fantastic World. I'm Greg Airbar, thanking you for rejoining us, and our guest, animation legend Willie Ito, to take us further on his journey to Hanna-Barbera.
1: I walk into the infamous Termite terrace Monday morning, and I can't believe such a contract
0: between
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the state of the art Walt Disney Studio and literally it is Termite Terrace, you know. But I was put into the bullpen and they would assign me scenes from different animators and directors and all. And my very first scene was a Speedy Gonzales cartoon.
0: Which I think and, won an Oscar, if I'm, I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, I think so. It was one of Fritz's good characters. And so I thought I did very good on the very first day because at Disney, if we were able to do one drawing an hour and turned in between six to eight drawings a day, you were on target. Mm-hmm. My first day at Warner Brothers, I did 13 P. D. Gonzalez drawings and I was very proud of myself, but later to learn that the quota at Warner Brothers was 30 drawings a day.
0: Wow. <laughs>
1: so, oh my goodness.
0: But where do you get to Hanna-Barbera.
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah. And fortunately, the skills that I picked up through Iwo Takamoto did me very well because my drawings will give you the next stage up which is called breakdown i said well that'll be fine however as far as my pay scale i am now earning an assistant animator pay and they said well we can't pay you that so i of course have to say thanks but
0: no thanks you didn't work on sleeping beauty correct Warner Brothers, who worked on, and I'm sure many people know this, but for those who don't know, One Froggy Evening, Broomstick Bunny, What's Opera Doc, and Robin Hood Daffy. So, you know, (laughs) I love Sleeping Beauty, but I also love those, and millions do too. Those are like the top of the crown ones.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, especially during that period, which to me is truly the Golden age of animation. Everything was done by hand, uh, even the ink and paint. It was before Xerox and everything hand painted itself. Oh, it was the what you might call the heyday of animation before uh, automation, you know. I had a field day working at Warner's, working with Chuck Jones, and working in this unit and working on the cartoons that you mentioned. But about six years into working with Chuck Jones, and Chuck was very, very good about it. He knew I wanted to do character design, storyboards, and things of that nature. So I would be able to do some of these things. Mm -hmm. However, Fritz Friedling came to Chuck and says that my layout man, Holly Pratt, I'm going to make him a director. So we would need... A good layout, man. So, Frizz says, you think I could borrow Willie for one picture, see how he does. And so Chuck loaned me out to Fritz reading, and I went over to Frizz's unit and started working on a film called Prince Violent with Bugs Bunny and Yosemite Sam, mm-hmm. and it was re-released as... Prince Varmint, because they felt Prince Violent
0: ah. might be... Um, and it's a spoof of Prince Valiant, I'm assuming.
1: Uh, well, I guess in a sense. Yeah. yeah and they had dragons and Yeah. Yosemite Sam with a helmet on. And actually, that was my very first screen present on a theatrical Warner Brother cartoon. I felt that it was a fun cartoon. I certainly did enjoy it. Very much. Apparently, I did a decent job, and so they thought that between Holly and Frizz that I would be a good future candidate to work as a layout man for Frizz. And so now I was being groomed to maybe become one of uh, Frizz's regular layout men. So I finished that picture and I was getting ready to be assigned my next picture, but I got a call from. Bob Clampett Studios called Snowball Incorporated, and the secretary says, um, Mr. Clampett would like to meet with you. So I uh, made an appointment, drove over into Hollywood on You up for the challenge? I said I sure am, and so he says, "Well then, I'm offering you double what you're making at Warner Brothers to come on over." Wow! <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! So of course it's an offer I couldn't refuse. So I went back to Jeff Embers and I said, "Well, I'm going to be taking Bob Clampett's um, offer, and of course they worked with Bob Clampett."
0: Oh, yeah. He was one of the main uh, directors
1: there. Yeah. But I guess, um, you know, there's some inside stories about their relationship, you know. uh, (laughs) You could probably read about in
0: Friendly rivalries, I guess, would be a nice way to put it. Yeah. Can I yeah, ask that, you about that, Beanie and Cecil? Did you design the Beanie and Cecil and Captain Huff and Puff characters or work on them? Uh, yeah. Because they're interesting because they are puppety. You know, Cecil has folds in them and things like that. and they. So it yeah. was a very unusual assignment for an animated cartoon. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it was. It was a little challenging because these were the issues that came up. How closely do we stay with the look of the puppets and how much flexibility that the design should have. Because, see, Bob was still an advocate of full animation. Yeah. So, you know, the... Hanna-Barbera limited animation type of thing was beyond Bob. He wanted to do, uh, like, the old Looney Tunes, you know, full animation, big takes like Tex-Savory takes, and, of course, Bob says he did that first. <laughs> 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 you know, the competition within the industry is uh, fantastic.
0: How many people throughout your Warner career claim they invented Bugs Bunny? Um, all <laughs>
1: Well, you know, when you work at Termite Terrace, you know, well, I never got to meet Bugs Hardaway, but he said, well, you know, my name is Bugs Hardaway, and this character is Bugs Bunny. I mean, who do you think invented it? And um, there's been different interpretations. Uh, So, you know, the story, guys, as well. I wrote the story of the first Bugs Bunny, and, of course, you know, I created the uh, character. And so everyone takes claim that worked back there at Termite Terrace. See, the three units that was there when I worked there was uh, Chuck, Frizz, and Bob McKimson, Mm -hmm. And they all did their own uh, rendition of Bugs Bunny. yes. When I left Chuck to go over to Frizz, the first thing Frizz said to me is, we don't draw our Bugs Bunny like Chuck does. <laughs> and so I had to study the Frizz breathing model sheets and adjust the way, you know.
0: <laughs> so no eyelashes.
1: Uh, yeah, none of that um, cutesy stuff and all because Bugs was, uh, with Frizz, he was kind of a wisecracking bunny. There are certain attitudes about Bugs that Frizz put in, and then Chuck did the cutesy Bugs Bunny, you know. So there's different interpretations.
0: That's half the fun.
1: Uh, Again, each animator would put their own touch to it, I guess you might say. Mm -hmm. Because when I was with uh, Chuck, we had four animators in my unit. I was working directly with Ken Harris, but I saw Abe Levitall, Ben Washam, and Dick Thompson. They all drew Bugsy Bunny in the manner that watching the film, you could tell where Ken Harris left off, and then Abe Levitol took over, and then where Ben Washam may have uh, animated and all that. So, you know, you you start to realize that. And then, of course, us assistant animators, we would uh, have our touch, so we could uh, even recognize who was the assistant on this particular sequence or whatever so you know uh, i guess you might say we all have our fingerprints or footprints on whatever we work on because i have people that come up to me now and say well i saw the flintstones or the jetsons and i could see where you you did the layouts you know (laughs) so
0: Oh, yeah, well. the Hanna-Barbera stuff had that as well, and in an earlier conversation on our podcast, that was mentioned. It's kind of a nice transition to go over to Clampett because there was sort of a stylistic bridge yeah. between Disney and then Warner and then to Hanna-Barbera. Even Hoyt Curtin was working there on some of the music. The music,
1: yeah, right, right. These guys, like Bill and Joe, Bob uh, Clampett, they all had a hand in creating the theme songs and whatever. mascap or the uh, royalties will go on forever, especially Bill Hanna. He was musically
0: inclined to start with. Yes, he was. Yeah. yeah. All the way back to uh, Harmon and Ising, he was writing songs oh, for cartoons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So,
1: you know, it was the dawning of a whole new era because making cartoons especially for television consumption was a totally different thing. Chuck and Frizz warned me about going over to TV animation. They did point out the difference, but unless you actually work in it, you don't really realize the differences. For instance, it was Bob Clampett's first venture into doing an animated series for television with a lot of network restrictions Mm -hmm. a lot of censors
0: (laughs) sponsors yeah and of course
1: bob was kind of known to like to throw in some innuendos and whatever which the network would catch and ask bob to eliminate it but bob would sit on it until it was too late to make the change and back then the um production manager will literally hand-carry the uh, film under his arm and take the red-eye Friday night to New York and Saturday morning deliver it to the uh, network where it would be screened. So there was no time to do any fixes. So later they would come back to Bob and says, hey, you know, uh, that little uh, censored thing, did get through, it was aired, and so Bob said, don't worry, for reruns, it'll all be corrected, and it never
0: was. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. How did you go from that to Hanna-Barbera?
1: Well, we finished the first season of Beanie and Cecil. There was a half hour that was available on ABC, and so that's when all the studios uh, providing cartoons for Saturday morning would scramble to come up with some new ideas. So Beanie and Cecil itself was not going to be renewed. We did a complete presentation on Charlie McCarthy,
0: Edgar Bergen and, and Charlie McCarthy mm-hmm. show. Oh, yeah, yeah, they yeah. were huge on radio. Did you know when, uh, when the... Orson Welles' famous War of the Worlds thing happened. They say that one of the reasons people thought that the Martian attack was happening is because they were actually listening to Bergen and McCarthy, which was much more popular than Mercury Theater. And, well, they missed the beginning where they were introducing that this is a dramatization. And so when the the singer came on, Bergen and McCarthy, people changed the channel and heard the attack in progress. Oh, that's (laughs)
1: how that happened. They were that popular. Yeah, they were. Uh, Yeah, as a matter of fact, I've always been an avid Dell comic collector. And so Harvey Eisenberg did a beautiful um, four color Dell comics on the Eckerberg and Charlie McCarthy uh, characters. So, uh, of course, I had all of those in my collection. So when Bob Clampett says, we're going to do the um, Charlie McCarthy sh- show as a presentation, I dug through my um, comic book files and used Harvey Eisenberg's art as a reference. And we did one episode, storyboarded it, and put up some uh, great concept art in the background department, like uh, Ron Diaz, paint some beautiful uh, Charlie's apartment and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we had it all pinned up around the wall. And then Edgar Bergen, Francis, and Candy, Candice, who was about eight years old at that time, mm-hmm. they all... we got the uh, Bergen show. Mm-hmm. We could go right into production, but nothing happened. And in the meanwhile, Alex Lovey heard that I was available. Mm-hmm. So he gave me a call and says, hey, you know, we've got another series we have to do. We're still finishing up some of the Flintstone stuff and got the Yogi Bear Huckleberry Al show and a bunch of the other shorts that they were doing.
0: Yeah, Loopy the so, Loop you worked on too. Yeah." Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And so he said, well, come on over, and we could start you right away. And so I went to uh, Bob, and I said, well, you know, I <laughs> I got to pay the bills, so I better maybe anticipate leaving. He says, well, would you do me a favor and be my, um, oh, I guess, consultant and be able to come a couple hours? there, (laughs) there was Iwo Takamoto,
0: Takamoto.
1: and also Jerry Eisenberg, who
0: replaced
1: me as Ken Harris's assistant when I left Warner Brothers. So we had a grand reunion, all three of us, and that was the beginning of my next 14-year career with Hanna-Barbera.
0: Now we're heading into the Hanna-Barbera era, so I want to ask you to come back. But before we go, I do want to mention that you have the book, Uh, Hello, Maggie, that people can still order, and there's a new edition coming out. Tell us a little bit about the book and the film.
1: Okay, well, when I retired, and this is... Back in 1999, I retired from Disney after 50 years working in the industry, and I was ready to just hang up all my pencils and do whatever and just sort of relax. But a friend of mine that we grew up in post-war San Francisco, uh, and we were in the Boy Scouts together in athletic endeavors like basketball and social club when we started getting interested in girls. I came down to L.A., like I mentioned, to go to Chenard. He joined the Navy, and he was stationed in San Diego. So at the time that I retired, he contacted me and says, Hey, um... I wrote a book, and I was wondering if you might be interested in illustrating it. And I says, oh, you know, Shaq, I just retired, and I'm tired, and I think I'll just get back, maybe take my wife and do a little traveling or something, you know. But he was rather persistent. And so I says, okay, Shaq, why don't you send me the manuscript and then let me look it over and give you my thoughts on it he did I read it and I realized that it was about his childhood experience during World War II when we were time finding any publishers that might be interested maybe the issue of the Japanese Americans being incarcerated during the war might have been too sensitive for them to publish or whatever so we decided that why don't we just self-publish it, and then we will make the rounds to different Japanese-American organizations, like uh, Janum, which is the Japanese-American National Museum, mm-hmm. and maybe go to some of the um, churches. Pre-committed by uh, Japanese Americans, Buddhist churches, and there's a lot of festivals that goes on in the spring, like the cherry blossom festivals, and all. At which time we could get a table and promote the book. Shig and I both could do speaking English. He says, oh, yes, you know, and we kind of talked about it. And then jokingly, I says, you know, th- maybe Hello Maggie might be a good class project for your senior animators, you know. And we sort of chuckled about that, and then we kind of forgot about it. And then about three years later, I get a message from Italy saying, we're going to do your Hello Maggie book as an animated cartoon. So now we're in production.
0: <laughs> so, well, that's yeah. really neat. Folks, the uh, book is available on the yeah. Japanese American Museum site. Yeah. J-S-N-M-Store, s sam The museum itself has a lot of great resources that explain what this situation was if you visit this site. Yeah. It's a wonderful book. It tells in a very gentle way and very innocent way because it's children. and yeah, yeah. But it also, behind that, is a whole issue that everybody needs to know about and remember. And I got to say that your family rose above and kept a positive outlook, and you kept drawing, and there you go. So. Gosh, I mean, we have so much to be grateful for just from the work that you've done, Willie.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, you know, at that time, when we came back, we all kind of felt that we should endeavor to get into something rather substantial, uh, humanitarian and whatever. So a lot of my friends went into pre-med, pharmacy, engineering, so as I wrapping up at City College, I'm thinking to myself, hey, you know, what I'm getting into is somewhat frivolous. Well, yeah.
0: not to us. <laughs> well,
1: that's not much later. Yeah. And so I went to my instructor, and I said, you know, I think with my talent, I'm going to pursue medical illustrating, and he looked me straight in the eye, shook his head, and said, No you're gonna get into animation i could have been a medical illustrator but today everything is done by computers anyway mm. well
0: can you come back and tell us more about hanna-barbera anytime okay Just let me
1: know greg yeah
0: what an inspiring life what a career and what a human being Folks, we're looking forward to talking to Willie Ito again. But for now, we hope you can be with us for our next podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please click subscribe and maybe write a review for us, too. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed the fantastic world of Hannah and Barbara with Greg Airbar. Please join us again, and
1: many thanks for listening.